Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. <laughs> Moreover, the brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Next verse. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All did eat the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. But let us, nor let us, uh, let us act immorally as some of them did, and, and 23,000 fell in one day. Next verse. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the serpents. Next verse. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our admonition or our instruction upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages have come. Does anybody have, a, anybody have a King James Bible with you? Anybody in the room? Would you read that scripture for me uh, and read it, read it loud enough that I can hear it? It said, now these things happen to them. Bring that scripture back up and keep it on the screen just for a moment, if you could. I, don't want, I want you to see this. This is powerful to me. Now all these things happened as an example, and they are written for our admonition. Do you have the King James, my friend? 11? Watch this. The original King James, this is a game changer to me. The original King James says, these things are written for our admonition, and they were written for us upon, watch this, read it for me again. They happened as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Now, he's talking to a first century church at Corinth. Uh, go ahead. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you see this word in King James? Upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the moment we think into the world, we're thinking in terms of a global collapse. Except that the Greek word here for world, and in many places in the King James, is mistranslated. The word that would be used as a globe or cosmos is actually the Greek word that you see translated correctly in this one, and even New King James. Go home and look it up. It's the Greek word eon. So it was not the end of the world as in a global collapse. It was the end of the ages. That's a game changer. Why is that? Because when we're talking, there's a difference between the end of the world and the end of the age. And what's really cool is when you start seeing a lot of the places where this word has been used and mistranslated. It starts to shift you to say, okay, it was the end. It's, what he says here is they were the people. He's talking to a first century church at Corinth. And he said everything that happened to them under Moses was an example for us. Not us, them. Now we could get the examples ourselves, but stay with me. 
upon whom the, he's telling them the ends. If you're going to stay, if you're going to use the end of the world scenario, the end of the world came to the first century church of Corinth. Well, I'm going to try it over here. But when you see it wasn't the end of the world, it was the end of the age. You have to say the end of what age? And then you start putting some scripture together and you start realizing, wait a minute, maybe the last days of what he was talking about was not the last days of the world or the globe, but the last days of the Mosaic Age. And maybe what we might consider the possibility of doing in this conference is losing our last day mentality and get a new day mentality and start to realize we have come out of some stuff and it's time for us to start going into our promise. Because the pattern here is that everything that happened to them under Moses was an example to get them to make the transition. If you could bring up those, could you bring up those two circles now? And let me just kind of uh, show you, these are powerful truths. Am I making sense so far? Are we good? Uh, if you could bring up the, the chart with the two circles, is that possible? I, it's hard for me to see you shake. There we go. If you can look at this, see, uh, uh, the way I like to, uh, it, that, that's a really good graphic. That, that first circle is the old covenant age. And the second circle is the old covenant age. Where these two circles converge was where most of the New Testament was written. And, and, and what is amazing to me is, uh, help me hold it, go, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24 and said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world is not the same word again as world globe, but what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And that was a game changer for me because I started to say, wait a minute. He's not talking about this planet blowing up. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle writes in the book of Ephesians, and he says, to him be glory in the churches throughout all generations, world without end. Wouldn't it be some incredibly good news if this thing don't have to fall apart? As a matter of fact, I am afraid that a lot of our prophecies are self-fulfilling because we feel like we need to make them come to pass. But when you start to preach something that might actually give your children and your grandchildren back their future, people look at you like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath of? Well, I'm telling you, I'd rather preach a message of hope and victory than I would doom and despair. Even when he walked down into the valley of dry bones, he didn't say prophesy how dead they are. Beat them up for their stinkingness. Tell them their bones are all dry. He didn't say get beat them up every day. He said prophesy to the wind. Start to prophesy something positive. Tell them to live. Tell them to get up on their feed and exceed you got to start to prophesy something that will make the church become essential again because if you think this thing is going to fall apart you are not going to brass you are not going to polish the brass on a sinking ship well, you say, well, brother, how's there's a lot of real problems in our world? I don't have my head in the sand. I know that. But I also know that the answer to it is not a few miles uh, east of here. I know that the answer to it might be sitting in this room in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ across the nations of the earth and the kingdom of God that is the salt and the light and that God's creation is an ongoing project of bringing about redemption and new creation and that that's how this thing ends is it ends with God winning. I don't know why that would be bad news to anybody. 
Hallelujah. And I'm going to look at all the prophetic stuff and show you without any kind of twisting it that it, it, it's so powerfully there that what he's talking about here is not the end of the world global, but the end of an age. But when you read it in King James, your mind goes, well, that's talking about the end of the world. We know the end of the world is very near. And he, see, Paul told them that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You're the people of whom the ends of the world have now come. Now, here's what I want you to show. He, he, bring that chart back up again. Because he says the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, have come. You are the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages have now come. If you see this, see the front end of this old covenant age right there, and the back end of that new covenant age is where they overlap. The back end is the old covenant age. The front end is the new covenant, hence the ends of the ages. Oh, I get so excited about this. And amazingly enough, Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24 when he talked about what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world, King James. Read it in any other translation or look it up in any Greek lexicon and it will tell you that it's not the word for globe, it is the word for age. And when I saw was talking about the end of the age, I begin to understand that he's not talking about a global collapse again, but he's saying the, the end of the age. And Jesus gave that prophecy concerning tribulation, deliver you up to be killed, uh, war, famine, Jerusalem encompassed with armies. I'll get into all of these time texts in just for a moment. But when Jesus gave that prophecy, he gave that prophecy in 30 A.D., and he's prophesying concerning the destruction of the temple and the whole removal because the temple was the centerpiece of Old Covenant Judaism. Without that, you cannot have animal sacrifice. You cannot go back under the law if you wanted to. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, he's standing in front of the beautiful buildings of the temple and he's saying to them, do you see all of these things? And he's pointing at the temple. And he said, not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Jesus gave the prophecies of Matthew 24 in 30 A.D. And exactly 40 years later, right in the two, between those two circles, exactly 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. Zion was like a plowed field. Old Jerusalem was moved off the scene, and I'm going to say it blunt, and then I'll qualify more of this as we go. Old Jerusalem passed off the scene, and New Jerusalem came on the scene. An old temple was destroyed, come on somebody, and a new temple showed up. What, do you not know your body's the temple? God moved out of that building and moved into this one. And what is amazing is, is that from the time he gave that prophecy until it came to pass was exactly 40 years, the same amount of time as the wilderness journey. And he's telling them that everything that happened to them happened as an example for you upon whom the ends of the ages have now come. And so Jesus comes on the scene and repeats almost everything in the book of Exodus because when John the Baptist says there's the Lamb of God, he's telling you there's another Exodus afoot here. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear to him 
And Moses, who is the mediator of the old covenant, says to Jesus, the Bible says he spoke to him concerning his decease. Moses, the leader of the first exodus, is talking to Jesus, the leader of the real exodus, concerning his decease. But the Greek word for decease there is exodus. So the leader of the first exodus said, I brought him out of a physical bondage, but you're about to bring him out of a spiritual bondage. There's another exodus about to take place here. I could go through a whole bunch of stuff here, but I could show you also the night before his decease. Jesus said, with great desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you? Because he knew this is the last time they would ever kill a woolly lamb. And this time they were going to leave another kind of a bondage and enter into a different kind of a promised land. And when they had the Passover that night, it signaled that was the end of the bondage that they were in. Now, I'm so full, I hardly know where to put all these pieces together. But I could tell you this in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, I believe it is around somewhere around verse uh, uh, 7. I think it is maybe, maybe 8 in there. It says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. How I many know our Lord was not crucified in Sodom and Egypt? Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But Revelation 11 said our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So the Holy Spirit is taking his finger and said, you think the bondage that you were under Pharaoh was a bondage. The bondage I'm about to bring you up out of is the bondage of an old covenant system that made a slave out of you instead of a son. Come on, somebody. And we're about to make an exodus because I'm going to bring you out. It is the last days of an old covenant, and we are coming out of it, and we are coming into a promised land, so much so that everything that Jesus did all through the Scriptures, he starts saying, you remember, hallelujah, how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about another exodus. They crossed, come on somebody, hallelujah. A lot of stuff... I mean, I feel, I feel like tra- trying to teach and preach here today. There's a whole chapter back there in my newest book called, it, called The Great I Am that has this in there. It, it's not an accident that in John's gospel, watch this, Jesus just leaves the feast of Passover. Say Passover. Exodus. See, it makes you think about it. He left the feast of Passover. They crossed the Sea of Tiberias, and there's a multitude in the wilderness, and they're hungry. I've seen this movie before. If I was a Jewish boy standing there, I'm thinking, wait a minute. We just left the feast of Passover. We just crossed the sea, and there's a multitude in the wilderness. And they're hungry, and he's about to feed a multitude in the wilderness. Takes me clear back to the book of Exodus. And he says to Philip, comes here, Lord, you need to send them away so they can go get bread to eat. And Jesus said, wait a minute. You feed them because he himself knew what he would do. The reason he knew what he would do is because this is not the first time he ever fed a multitude in the wilderness after they left the Passover. So he feeds 5,000 with with five loaves and two small fishes, and when he gets it gathered back up, they come to him and said, what sign do you show us that you're the the Messiah? I'm like, I might have been Jesus out of the to do for you people. What sign do you show us? I just repeated the wilderness. And then Jesus quotes the scripture. 
He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, there's another exodus. There's another bread. There's another rock that was smitten. There's another serpent on the pole. I'm what that was pointing to. But this time I want to bring you out of the bondage of an old covenant paradigm and into the kingdom and into the new covenant. Calm down, Lynn. Where there's power and relationship and, and a restored priesthood where everybody has access to God without a mediator. That there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we were on our way. How many of that 40 years from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. was a perfect picture of a wilderness journey? They were coming out and it was coming to an end in 70 A.D. But it's exactly 40 years upon whom the ends of the ages and everything they saw under Moses as an example, God gave them the same pictures again so they ought to should, should, they should have figured this thing out man are you tracking with me am I making sense and then you come clear over in the book of Revelation he's writing to seven churches which are in Asia and there are seven churches but when you get past the third chapter the word church is never mentioned again here's what most prophecy teachers tell you well, that's because the rapture took place somewhere between chapter 3 and chapter 4. To which I reply, if it was that important of an event, you'd have thought if he, God would have put it in somebody's footnotes. <laughs> Why isn't the church mentioned after chapter 4 of the book of Revelation? Watch this. Because the very last church, he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and if you can hear my voice and open to me, I'll come in and sup with you. He's talking about eating the covenant meal, the Passover meal. We're coming out of something. Because the first usage of the word church here in the Bible is when God called the children of Israel. He said called them the church in the wilderness because the word church means the called out ones. And the reason that they're not mentioned again after the fourth chapter is because they're no longer in the wilderness. They haven't came out because when the fourth chapter of Revelation opened, he said, I looked and behold, a door was opened. Hallelujah. And there's a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. It's a picture of the throne, the kingdom of God, with the rainbow as a symbol of the new covenant. They have left the wilderness and they've come into the kingdom. Now the church has become relevant. It's the vehicle by which God can do. I'm not saying we're doing away with the corporate gathering by any stretch of the imagination or the church. I'm just saying at some point we got to stop coming out and start going into something. I think we have to shift from a coming out mentality to a going in mentality. And I hope this seminar helps us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when we start to see that, that they were the people upon whom the ends of the ages had now come, he was writing to them to encourage them that they were the people. Now let me just say this to you. We're going to go to Matthew 24 here in just a moment. But before I get there, he's talking to them about the people upon whom the ends of the ages had now come. Once again, this word is not the ends of the world. But the end of the ages, that's a game changer to me. Because it makes a whole lot, the meaning of it's completely different when you see the proper translation. How many words change over time? The translators do the best they can with what they have, but how many words, words, words change? If, if you think words don't change, I was thinking the other day, we were singing a carol, not the other day, last year, singing a Christmas carol. Don we now our gay apparel. I mean, you know, that meant something different back then. 
words, <laughs> change in their meaning. So while they may have thought world as in sense of a time period, the translators finally get it right and translate it as ages. Let me say this to you. When Jesus gave this prophecy in Matthew 24, one of the things that they use in liberal colleges to dismantle the faith of our children is they say, and even C.S. Lewis, who was one of the most respected theologians, and I respect C.S. Lewis, but his comments concerning Matthew 24 is this. He said, Matthew 24 is one of the greatest exhibitions, one of the most embarrassing exhibitions of error in the Scriptures because Jesus said he would come before that generation came to an end and he didn't show up. Therefore, college, uh, liberal college teachers tell us, see, so Jesus couldn't really be legit because it didn't come to pass like he said it did. Let me tell you, it came to pass exactly like he said it did. It's just that their interpretation of it is a whole lot different. And when you think Jesus made an error, you need to readjust your theology. See, we can, we, can, we can talk about, well, you know, these apostles thought they were living in the last days, but, and they weren't. And they thought they were living in the last days, and they weren't. But, you see, if we're, going to, if we're going to believe the Scriptures, we have to take what these men are saying and believe if they said they were living in the last days, they were living in the last days. You're awful quiet on me, but I think that's some pretty good news, actually. Now, let's look at a few more thoughts here for, before we... Uh, uh, kind of come to, i got plenty of time yet to share some of this. Go with me to Matthew 23. Let's go to 23 first and then we'll come up to Matthew 24. I want to go to verse 34. <clears throat> Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, watch this, verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Everybody say this generation. Let me be slow and meticulous. He's not talking about us. He was talking about them. He's prophesying woes to that first century audience that's standing in front of them. He said that you killed the prophets, you stoned them that are sent to you. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it quotes this again when the city is about to be destroyed that he calls great Babylon the great harlot, and he says that in her was found the blood of all the martyrs. The only city that Jesus makes that indictment against is Jerusalem, and he says to them, Upon you will come the blood of all from the blood of Zacharias, and Barakash you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you that all of these things will come upon this generation. Everybody say this generation. How many can see he's talking about that group right there? You've got to see context because I want to show you some other stuff in here. And then he goes on to say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that killed the prophets and stoned them which are sent to thee, how oft I would have gathered you your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not, wherefore your house is left to you desolate. Now let me say this to you. The only place God has wings is on the mercy seat. What he's saying to them is, 
I wanted to give you mercy. I, when I get into the timelines in the morning service, I'm going to show you Daniel's 70 weeks and show you the different things. Because Daniel said 70 weeks of years are determined upon my people or 490 years. And I said, God, why 70 times 7? He said, because a man must forgive until 70 times 7. In other words, he's giving them every opportunity to receive their Messiah, but they would not. Therefore, he says, he wept, and he said, your house is left to you desolate, and all of this woes are going to come on this generation. And then he goes in Matthew 24 and starts the great prophecy. Wherefore, he starts out in Matthew 24. Verily I say unto you, bring me up Matthew 24, if you would. Just bring up the whole chapter for right now. I, I'm only... Matthew 24. While they're bringing that up, let me, go, let me jump way ahead to verse 34 in here because while I'm, I'm here to connect the thought, once again he's saying to them, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to give you mercy. I've, I sent prophets. I sent servants. Some of them you stoned. Others you killed. And a few verses above this, he gives an incredible parable. He said a certain man had a vineyard. He let it out to husbandmen. And then he sent the servants to see how the vineyard is doing. Some of them they killed, others they sent, killed, stoned. Last but not least, he said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll receive the son of the owner of the vineyard. But they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. What do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do to those wicked husbandmen? He's going to burn their city, is what he says, and then he's going to give the vineyard to a people producing the fruit. And then Jesus begins to prophesy to these people, I wanted to gather you. In other words, I have given you every opportunity. I've given you 70 times 7. And not only did I send prophets, he sent the son of the owner of the vineyard. And they have now rejected the owner of the vineyard. And Jesus says that all of these woes will come upon this generation. How many know he's talking about those people standing right there. The reason I'm showing you that is because it uses this same Greek, this same word, English word and Greek word in Matthew 24. After Jesus gave, gives the great prophecy of great tribulation and the end of the world, he tells them because he, they ask him, he said, when he walks up to Matthew 24, verse number one, go ahead and bring that up if you got it. Can you do that? And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. So he's standing there looking at the beautiful buildings of the temple. Next verse. And Jesus said to them, See you not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Next verse. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the King James world, every other translation, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Game changer. I hope you can go home tonight with a lot of fear going. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. 
When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.